Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. I am the lead pastor at Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford. And I'm Marshall Morden, and I'm the associate pastor at Memorial. Well, Marshall, we are in Leviticus. We are. Yeah, this is everyone's favorite book of the Bible. Leviticus. That's, yeah, everyone looks forward to this this time of year. Yeah, this is this is kind of a famous book in Read Through the Bibles, and and I, I know we've been referencing the uh, Story of Redemption Bible quite a bit, uh, and this is going to be a little bit of a lengthy read, but this is their introduction to Leviticus, and I thought it was was just fantastic. So for setting that stage for where we are in the read-through, it says this, The word Leviticus literally means concerning the Levites. And this third book of the Bible is famous for its detailed instructions uh, for the descendants of Levi, those set aside by God to serve him as priests. Leviticus is also famous, though, for being a place where Bible reading plans go to die. The step-by-step instructions about where and how Israel are to perform sacrifices and hold feasts and all the rest just appear hopelessly strange and unfamiliar to us. Even more, the exciting story that has run through Genesis and Exodus seems to come to a screeching halt in this book. So our first inclination is either to skip Leviticus or just give up on the idea of reading through the Bible altogether. But don't give up so fast. Sure, you may want to read through Leviticus a little more quickly than you have through Exodus, uh, Genesis and Exodus. But do not make the mistake of thinking that Leviticus is unimportant, much less boring. Actually, Leviticus is continuing the story of God's redemption, uh, relationship with Israel exactly where Exodus ended. With the looming question, how are these people so sinful and so prone to breaking faith with God ever going to survive now that God has taken up residence right in the middle of them? Above all, Leviticus is God's gracious answer to that question because it shows that he will not simply destroy them. At the same time, though, he, his desire for his people to make, or he desires for his people to make no mistake about the seriousness of this issue. I love that introduction because mm-hmm. what it shows is that God is gracious and merciful. He is not going to just be done with his people, but at the same time, sin matters to God. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he takes it. Very, very seriously. Yeah, I mean, because what that little introduction said, I mean, the, this whole idea of we've seen the wickedness of God's people, their stubbornness, their faithlessness in the book of Exodus. And so Leviticus really provides the solution to how they're going to live in community with God. Yeah, and, and, and so I think when I when I think about how I want people to approach Leviticus, yeah, you know what, everyone's going to have their opportunities to have fun with it. And we're going to sure. talk about some areas where it seems to be redundant. I mean, already in Exodus, we've been told, I think, twice now not to boil a goat in its mother's milk, and, uh, and it happens again. Yeah. That seems to be a pretty important one because it comes up time and time again. Uh, there's going to be an issue of redundancy. There are going to be times when it feels very, very detailed, and and we can have fun with that and 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 you know just sort of recognize it for what it is. As far as a read, it's for one. I would remind you, it's not meant to be entertaining. That's true, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, this this is not something that someone writ saying writ wrote saying 
this is surely going to entertain them. They're going to love the plot twists and the turns and all that sort of thing. That's not the purpose of it. So that we're not entertained by Leviticus is not a shortcoming of the book. Uh, the book is instructions on how it is that God chooses to be worshipped by the Israelites, and we should read it for what it is. Yeah, no, totally. And so as we're working through the book of Leviticus, there's a couple kind of big picture themes, the the proverbial forest we often refer to. So what was one of the things that was a forest thing for you? Yeah, so for me the for me the big thing in the forest was how serious my sin is. Hmm. The weight of sin is a big deal. I, I know we don't even use the term sin. Uh, a lot of times now in our Bible studies and our small groups or life groups or whatever you call yours, right? The, the idea is, is always, like, well, there's this thing I'm struggling with. Right. I've got this struggle or a hang up. Mm. And we don't even want to use the word sin. We don't even want to say, no, this is where I have sin in my heart that I need to repent of. It's, mm-hmm. it's a struggle. It's a hang up. It's, a, it's you know, something that I'm wrestling with. Right. And, and we in doing that, we're sort of letting ourselves and other people off the hook for the weight of sin. But when I look at Leviticus and I read about what goes into redeeming sin, it's heavy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's heavy and it's gruesome. Yeah. It's messy. Yeah. 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 I know that's 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 huge. I mean, the, the seriousness of it all is just something that we should be lost on us. Right. Um, for me, one thing that kind of just jumped off the page is just the this whole idea of like clean and unclean, like cleanliness, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, we obviously some of this is about in regards to like hygiene and the spread of disease and whatnot. Some of it just kind of makes sense, but not all of it, right? Like it's not just about hygiene, right? It speaks to the purity and the otherness of who God is. Yeah, I, I think in that it shows on the, the idea of purity, it shows that there are physical things that have spiritual impact. Right. Uh, and, and so sometimes you, you can hear people that really want to be very antinomian, very, you know, now that we live under the grace of Christ, God doesn't really care about any physical thing that I do. It's, it's about my heart relationship with him. But that's not necessarily true. We see a lot of things here that take place physically that make them ceremonially and spiritually unclean and separated from God. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that's kind of worth noting, too, um, actually, you mentioned this in our discussion, is that not all of the acts that render people unclean are necessarily um, caused by some sort of rebellion, right? Like there, there is sometimes these kind of situations that are impossible to avoid right. that render people unclean, yeah. right? So there's there's an aspect of that as well, just in our human condition, just in as living in this fallen world with the situations that we face day in and day out where we are just rendered unclean before God. Yeah, we we are inheritance. We do inherit Adam's original sin. Yeah. And so for that, we are a fallen people in a fallen world, and there's no way for us to escape in sort of a way that causes us to only live pure and holy lives. We are, like Isaiah says, uh, unclean people, a people of unclean lips, living amongst a people of unclean lips. It It is our daily encounter to be in contact with a fallen world. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. So, okay, so let's get into some of the the, the trees, so to speak. Let's start talking about some of the details here, that, mm-hmm. the, the, the means by which God is kind of directing his people to live um, and to kind of overcome this uncleanness. Um, so the first, I mean, the first seven chapters of Leviticus are all kind of directions on the various sacrifices that God is instituting. And so there's some some key things that kind of jump off the page 
um, that as I was reading through, I kind of noticed, like, huh, okay, that caught my attention. I mean, one of them is the use of, of frankincense, right? And every time I... On the grain offering, yeah. Yeah. So when I think of frankincense, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. oh, okay. All right, that, that was one of the gifts that the Magi brought to Christ. And so, obviously, okay, so frankincense is used in the sacrificial system where people would worship God. So it's like, okay, all right, interesting, right? It's just the, the, that, that word kind of just jumped off the page at me. Yeah, and, and one thing that I would say <clears throat> that also takes place in that, uh, that grain offering, mm. I've had people say to me uh, before in the past, how could you ever take money from the offering plate and put it into your pocket? Because that's what you do as a paid staff member of a church. Right. Pastors should be bivocational and they should not receive money because people are giving that money to God and to the work of God. And you're taking money out of the offering plate and putting it into your pocket. Mm-hmm. And there's no biblical precedent for that. And I think you can point to Leviticus and you can sure. say, what did the priest do? Yeah. He made sacrifice from the offering given by the people. Yeah. And there was a portion set aside as a provision for those who were doing the work of God. Right. Now, is it a direct parallel? No. 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 No, but it is It is a precedent in a way to say that God, God does call some to be set apart for the purpose of being fully engaged in the work that he has. Right. And he provides for them. He uses the, the offerings of the people in a way to provide for them so that they can devote themselves to that kind of work. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting little something that popped out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And we're grateful for it. Um, one of the other things that kind of jumped off the page for me too was this whole idea of like unintentional sins, right? Right. They, the, though, even though still required offerings, and so the idea that we can unintentionally sin before God, and uh, I was like, okay. I mean, obviously, not necessarily. There's not not everything is a direct parallel between you know old covenant believers and new covenant believers as far as what renders us unclean or what what constitutes sure. you know one of those acts. But still, the idea of okay, you know, unintentional sin um, is a thing, and so that was kind of something else that jumped off the page at me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. The whole idea of unintentional sins, but no, I think I think unintentional sin is important because I I think it helps us to understand. That it doesn't just mean that we are rebellious people, right? That the only reason we're separated from God is because we choose to do rebellious things. We're separated from God because he's completely other. Mm. And, and we don't always comprehend the depth of our fallenness. And part of, part of spiritual maturity and part of growing as a believer is learning new areas where you have opportunity to turn things over to God. That's that's sort of how we grow spiritually in 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 our piety and in our practice of worship and in our prayer life is to be able to say, hey, you know what? I can, in this journey, I can see how far I've come and at the same time, I can see how far I have yet to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And then the kind of the last thing in that that section that I, that I noticed um, is kind of this whole concept of you know, we, we often look at the Old Testament law and we look at it as being kind of inferior to the level of justice that we enjoy today. But there's certain things what I'm, when I'm reading through, I'm thinking, you know what, that's just a better way of doing it. There, yeah, it's very practical. And there yeah. are a lot of things that take place in sort of the civil construct of yeah, the law. Yeah. You're just like, what a great idea. Yeah, like so even the idea, so the idea that like leaders of the people versus the general populace versus those who are poor would have different requirements for offering like mm-hmm. that, that someone's someone's financial means had an impact on what 
the fine was or what the what the cost was um like can you imagine like <laughs> that you got you know speeding tickets that were based on your income i mean it's i'm not saying i'm not advocating for that i'm just saying like they thought this through right like they were going to deter crime amongst the the powerful by you know instituting more severe consequences for those people by I, they you mean the holy trinity Yes, that's what I meant. Okay. Sorry. Okay, just I meant, making sure. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> or God and Moses. No, it's not the Holy Trinity. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Right. So, it, so, but no, but no, you're right. So there is there is in this a severity of punishment mm-hmm. uh, because of the severity of the the price that is paid for it. But at the same time, God's not trying to destroy people mm. in their payment. Right? right. He's not asking people to give in such a way that they end up with nothing because right. they had to a- atone for their sin. Uh, he is he is making this tiered and accessible. Mm-hmm. I, I would say one of the things that really stood out to me in this first section of sacrifices before we jump into the the part about Aaron and his sons being set apart. Yeah. Uh, the, to go back to the very beginning, the blood sacrifices that open Leviticus. Right. When 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 you think about the temple, you know we just read about some specifications for the construct of the temple in Exodus, right? So that's what leads us into Leviticus. And you read about it, and you're like, all the gold and, and the special kinds of wood that are going to be used and the amount of silver, and you're just like, this is a this is a beautiful place. This is a high-end right. place. And then you see the maps and the charts drawn out about how large this place was, and you look at the temple, and you're like, wow, what an amazing place. And then you open up Leviticus, and you read what is taking place on this altar. Mm. And these fires are burning constantly. And in order for all of these people to be making the needed sacrifices, they are constantly piling more and more sacrifice onto this fire. The amount of blood that gets flung, Mm -hmm. I I never really, until I, growing up in church, I, I never really learned much about the flinging of the blood against the side of the sure. altar. Yeah. But when you read this, it's, it's such a gruesome picture yeah. of just slinging blood against the side of the altar, and it had to stink. Oh, yeah. I, the Bible says that it'll be a pleasing aroma uh, unto the Lord. Maybe it's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I would think that it would likely be a place that would not be pleasing aroma to man. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the, they're in the desert. Sure. Like it's hot, right? Like it's not, it's not like where it is right now where we you know where we're minus 20 or whatever the, whatever it is right now. No, it's, it's, it's hot. It's going to get stinky. Like within a couple hours like that, the blood and entrails, like it's just like, ugh. yeah. And, and all this stuff slung against the side, oh, yeah. all of it piled up. It looks awful. It smells awful. Yep. It has to sound awful, right? All of these animals and, and, and it's just a very, it's a very dirty thing. Mm. And, and I think that that's important. Uh, because as I said at the opening of it, just talking about you know the forest, I, we've already talked about. It, I don't need to revisit it, but I, I think it's important for us to understand the impact that sin has on our relationship with God, yeah. and not to get caught up in this sort of like Jesus is my homeboy kind of mentality, right? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Like you, you cannot read Leviticus with that idea in no, mind. Not at all. When you read Leviticus, you realize what it means to fear the Lord. Yeah, and for Him to be entirely other. Yeah, and for Him to be set apart and distinguished from us and our need for him to save us because we are unclean. Yeah. 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 So then moving on through the book of Leviticus, we get to this, you know, section about the consecration of Aaron as the high priest and his sons to serve 
uh, also as priests and, and you get a little bit more about the garments and that that whole thing. And you know what you know what I really saw in that what stood out to me this time through was I love and, and a lot of people do the story of Peter after Peter uh, meets with Jesus after the resurrection. Yeah. Right. And and he asks him three times, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And he's recommissioning him. Go and be about the work that I've set before you. Peter knows for a fact he's unworthy yeah. for this job. Yeah. Because he has just committed the ultimate sin. He denied his relationship with Christ. Mm. And he has been forgiven. And he's been recommissioned. I knew you were going to do that. It was no shock or surprise to me. Be about the work that I've called you to. Yeah. And this is almost exactly what happens to Aaron. It is, yeah. Right? Because last week we're going on about how ridiculous Aaron is. Aaron has broken the first two commandments before they're even brought down off the mountain. They understand immediately that they are in the wrong. And he leads all this nonsense. And not only does he lead it, he lies about it. Sure. Right? Like, oh, well, I, I tripped and fell. I had a handful of earrings. And all of a sudden, you know, this thing comes walking out. Right? So he knows what he's done. He's lied about it. If anyone deserved to be put aside and to say, you know, you had your chance, but you failed. Oh, Aaron is a prime suspect for this, right? Yeah. He, he's, he's definitely someone to be put aside, but he's not. Yeah. He's not put aside. Mm. Instead, God carries out the call that he had put on Aaron's life. Yeah. You will be the, the chief of priests. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get into the story, kind of one of the most interesting stories of, of this week's reading, in my opinion, uh, the, the story of uh Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, mm-hmm. who you know are getting pretty hyped up about this whole new you know priestly role, and uh, offer what is you know what is called unauthorized fire, and essentially mm-hmm. they're they're they end up being consumed by that fire. Um, God is God is not happy with uh, with them going off script, right? And and so I think you know one of the things you know god god kind of gives his reason he says that you know i will be sanctified and i will be uh, glorified before all the people right so god is saying like look i i've i've given clear instruction on how this whole thing is supposed to work um and and i i take deviation from that very seriously right like this isn't this isn't improv at the tabernacle this is i've given you the script i've told you what to do and this is how you are to do it and and Failing to fulfill that role, um, once it's been explicitly laid out, is a serious crime before God. Yeah, and, and I think we need to be clear about what happens with these guys. Right. Um, so the the sacrifices are very complex in when and how they take place. Surely they had some sort of flow chart, right? <laughs> I would hope so. To to keep up with it, I if this was something that just had to be become second nature, I would never last in this. I. It's just very specific, very one after the other, very ceremonial. There would have to be some sort of cheat sheet flow chart off to the side right. of the uh, the altar somewhere to help them through this. That, I mean, that's essentially what Leviticus is, is a reminder of how all of this takes place. And it's not as if they were doing what they had come to do and made some mistakes along the way. They choose to deviate from the right. plan. Right. And, and so I think the I think the big question that's going to come up in this is what do we as a new covenant people learn from this? Mm. Right. Do we learn that it was a big deal then? And that's it. How much of this carries over in a world where 
we're not given so many specifications for how it is that we should practice worship. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and so I, I, I would say this. Where we have freedom, we exercise that freedom. Yeah. Where we have specificity, we practice specificity. Yeah. Now, to the members of our church that are listening to this and to our moms, because let's be honest, that's, that's who <laughs> listens to this. <laughs> <clears throat> that's not going to be a surprise. You know, maybe, you know, maybe those who are listening will be like, well, that sounds like a Baptist, right? You're going to be very specific about, you know, bautezo, we are going to immerse. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and after they have confessed, because we believe that the scripture plays it out like this, this, and this. Uh, but, but I, do those things really matter? I believe so. Yes. I, I, yeah. be, I believe so, and that's why I practice ministry where I practice ministry, not just because this is the church that was crazy enough to hire me to do this. <laughs> it, it's because I am convinced that these things matter to God, and I want to practice them in a denomination yeah. and in a church that sees them as biblically as I see them to be. Now, I understand that, you know, Presbyterian brothers, for example— uh, that our gospel-believing Presbyterian brothers are going to read these things differently. Yeah. I have very, very good friends that are gospel-believing men that lead uh, in, in the Christian Reformed Church, and they practice them differently. Yeah. But my conviction on what the biblical layout is, is is specific, and I believe that it does matter and is worth dividing. It, it's okay that we are in different churches, yeah. leading different churches, yeah. because this is worth dividing over, because I believe that God takes these things kind of seriously. And so I would also say to that there's a growing trend inside of the church to say, well, let's take these things that are practices in other religions hmm. and bring them into the worship of God, because they're sort of sanctimonious. And, and they are a way of sort of humbling or centering yourself in, in such a way that could be useful in Christian worship. And so we're going to sort of redeem these practices of other religions mm. inside of Christian worship. Yeah. And this is an area where I would say, hold on. Yeah. I, think, I think God is not going to ex receive that well. Yeah. I think it's important for us to practice liberty where we have liberty. Sure to be specific where he calls us to be specific. And, and I think this is a very sobering story uh, to that end. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, the new Testament is clear when the church gathers, we are to read the scriptures. We are to, you know, hear teaching and preaching. We are to pray. We are to sing. We are to baptize, take the Lord's supper, mm -hmm. uh, but bringing in kind of these other things that are, are not kind of given to us and bringing them in, you know, as a way to kind of enhance it or to take it to the next level, mm -hmm. as you might say, um, we are we are tiptoeing dangerously close to the the sin of uh, Nadab and Abihu. Yeah, I agree. Okay, great. And then uh, next few chapters, getting into the whole cleanliness thing, and so we we kind of go step by step through these various uh, situations uh, or different objects that that could make um, people ceremonially unclean, and so. I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here because one of the things that I just really, really, really loved about this is as I was reading through the various things. So we've got clean versus unclean animals. We've got purification after childbirth. We've got laws about leprosy and cleansing houses and bleeding disorders. When I read through that list, my mind automatically just races over to, to the gospels, to the ministry of Jesus Christ and how 
it's almost like in some ways how as he was going through his ministry, he was systematically just checking these these boxes off, fulfilling the law and making things clean. Right. Like he he announces that, um, you know, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him unclean, but what comes out of it. And then, then kind of in parentheses, you know, saying that this is he therefore what, what's the phrase? And by saying this, he made all thing all food clean. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then we think of, like, you know, even Mary and Joseph taking taking the infant Jesus to be presented at the temple, fulfilling that, you know, that Levitical directive. Uh, you know, he has so many engagements with with lepers, um, with people with uh, bleeding disorders. Like he just Jesus is the one who finalizes what uh, what Leviticus is kind of typifying. Right. Like so these like Leviticus is demonstrating that there there is uncleanness in this world. But then Jesus comes and he he makes all things clean. Anything that he touches, uh, he makes clean. And I just I just love that, that as I'm reading through this, I'm just re- being reminded of the gospel truth of, of that Christ um, takes things that are unclean and makes them clean. Yeah. And, and that in his earthly ministry, he did in a small way, uh, not insignificant, mm. but in a smaller way. Uh, show us what he is going to do when he returns and restores all things to himself. Amen. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. That we, we see these physical expressions of what he is about and what he will return and do for us in an ultimate way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, next, there's the Day of Atonement, the two goats. The scapegoat. The scapegoat. It's made its way into our English phrase. It is. This it is, is where it comes from. Yeah. I love that. I, I love it when you, you come across things in the Bible and you're like, oh, okay, that's what that's from. And so so not to get too far into it because, you know, we want to leave things for people to read and anticipate, but the idea that the sins of a people would be placed on another, hmm, hmm. it's worth getting excited sounds, about. Sounds like substitutionary atonement to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's great. I Yeah, that's just, that, again, just kind of typifying, pointing to pointing to what's coming, right? And then uh, we've got the place for sacrifices. Uh, so essentially, sacrifices must be brought to the tabernacle, right? Mm-hmm. People who make these unlawful sacrifices, they're doing the same kind of thing as Nadab and Abihu. They're not abiding by how God has directed his people to worship him. Yeah, and you know, I, I don't want to get too far into uh, ceremonialism. Sure. I, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty lax on that. I, I don't want to say I'm pretty lax on that as a pastor. I'm not... I'm I'm not one of these people who uh who believes that in in this hyper ceremonialism. Right. Uh but I do think that ceremonialism matters. And and I think that we see that here not only in how things take place uh as we've already discussed but where they take place. Uh I've I've had friends when I was youth pastoring that would have communion at youth group and they would do it with, you know, like a bottle of Pepsi and a pizza. Yeah. And pass it out amongst the youth and call it communion. And they would read First Corinthians 11. And, you know, this bread is my body, which is broken for oh, you. Man. Take, eat and do so in remembrance of me. And, and I just looked at that and I think, I don't think that that carries the same sort of significance. Yeah. That the church gathered together to receive the bread and the cup yeah. holds. Yeah. Right. And the, the authority of the corporate body of the church gathered together in agreement uh, for communion is a significant and special time. Yeah. And 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 later on in chapter 11, it talks about not even in a new covenant, 
mm-hmm. about not taking in an unworthy manner. A lot of people want to read into that. Unbelievers shouldn't take communion, mm-hmm. but that's not at all the discussion. The discussion is not about unbelievers taking communion is taking communion in an unworthy manner. This is only about the church. Right. He is talking to the people of the church that are choosing to make a mockery mm-hmm. of of this ceremony that we have to remember what Christ has done for yeah. us. So I, I think in that, again, I would say we see how ceremonialism still matters to God. Sure. And, and I think that carries over there from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant because we're still talking about the same person of God. Yeah. 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 Even so, if even if the laws aren't as rigid and aren't as well defined for us, what we have matters. True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for any of the the youth from my youth groups, if they're listening, uh, if you were hoping to do, you know, Pop Tarts and Mountain Dew communion, it's just not gonna it's not no. gonna fly. Sorry. Please, please. Sorry guys. We would have meetings. <laughs> there there would be significant staff yeah, meetings. So it's, it's that's not going down, unfortunately. Okay, and then the last chapter that we're gonna cover uh in this week's uh, podcast is chapter 18, which is unlawful sexual relations, right? And the uncovering of one's nakedness. Yeah. Which as soon as I read that, I'm thinking, okay, right back to Noah, right? With ham who uncovers his father's nakedness. What does that mean? Right? Like now, now suddenly it's like, oh, okay. Maybe it was something a little bit more than him taking a peek when he shouldn't have. Maybe there was some kind of contact that was going on. Again, scripture doesn't explicitly lay that out for us, but it would, one would assume there was something a bit more significant because of the similarity of the language. The similarity of the language. I mean, like same author, right? Moses wrote Genesis. Mm -hmm. Moses wrote Leviticus, right? He's using the same phrasing and you know, the, the, the severity of the curse that Noah puts on him would, would make one think that something pretty significant happened. Reason, reasonably so is what I would say. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, and, and I would also point out that one of the things that we talked about from the very beginning is that, yes, we are going to be reading the Bible very quickly in a way that people generally don't read the Bible. Right. And and there, I think, is an example of the benefit of that. Right. right? If you had slowly, verse by verse, sort of been uh, expounding your way through this, by the time you would have gotten to this point from Genesis, you that would have slipped your mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because we just don't we just don't hold information in the same way, but reading through quickly, then all of a sudden you have these opportunities for connection to say, hey, yeah. this does remind me of this thing that I read not too long ago. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think the the kind of the summary of kind of this list of these unlawful relations, um, you know, is that God God cares about this stuff. God cares yeah. about what we do with our bodies, right? He does. And yeah. and you know what? I, I, I've heard a lot of people say, surely a holy God that is the creator and sustainer of all the universe doesn't care what I do sexually. But you know what? The Bible is very concerned yeah. with what we do sexually. Yeah. And uh, and it, it resonates throughout the old covenant and throughout the new covenant. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. is just a f- it's not even our first glimpse into it. No, it's not. Uh, and but it but it is a significant glimpse into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those mm-hmm. things are restricted and it does matter to God. So before we wrap up highlights for you. Highlights for me, you know, I, th- I think this time, uh, the thing that really was weighty on me, because uh, I, I did this last year, and, and last year when I read through, the, the thing was just uh, sort of the imagery of it all, just imagining all of this stuff taking place. This time, uh, I not that I didn't notice that, but, but reading through uh, this year, just the weight of my own sin mm. uh, was was really something that stuck out to me that that sin really does matter and that in order for me to be 
uh, forgiven of my sin, there would have to be blood. Right. Uh, and, and the blood of Christ, the holy and perfect lamb uh, without blemish. And, and just the weight of that and, and the importance of understanding uh, even, even just the fear of the Lord, that separation between him and me, um, that we, we can, in a new covenant church, oftentimes overlook and, uh, and try to become buddies with God, yeah. although it, it is true he, we are friends of God. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not peers. Yeah. We are friends with God because he is gracious and merciful, and he condescends to our level. Yeah to receive us and to make us worthy of his presence uh, because he is the thrice holy yeah. uh, and, and very separate from us. You? Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the laws that jumped off the text for me was um, this whole idea of if someone fails to be a witness when they know the truth, mm. then they're deemed guilty. And so, you know, that's being brought up in the context of kind of legal proceedings, right? If you know the situation and you fail to speak up, you are guilty. And I mean, firstly, I mean, I just think that's a very kind of righteous way of, of, of handling things. It's a very proactive honesty. It really is. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, it's not enough to just not lie, right? It's not enough to just, you know, put your hand on the Bible as they do in the court of law and, and not lie. But you're actually, you you step forward if you know, right? You step forward if you know the information. But then, then as I'm kind of evaluating that and thinking about that, I'm thinking of like almost gospel implications of that. Sure. Right? I, and I think it's fair to say, I think it's safe to say, we know the truth. As those, as the people who've been redeemed by the gospel of Christ, we know the truth. And if we fail to be witnesses, we will be held accountable for that. And that was Amen. just, that just hit, that hit hard for me in the, in the reading this week. Awesome. Yeah. So. Awesome. All right. Well, next week we'll step into more Leviticus. Uh, but till then, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, and is produced by the Alex Walker. Have a good week. Love you guys. Bye.